AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, Ganesh, this week I think you're bringing us a story about a, a botnet and some new tactics associated with it? Yes, Manny. I'm talking about uh, Gilma botnet, which is uh, relatively new, but it's not that prevalent. I'm going to talk more about the, the change in the tactics rather than uh, you know the, how the analysis has been done. Uh, there's a good analysis done by DSHIELD last week about how this botnet operates. Uh, the interesting piece is, it's a, again, it's a kind of info stealer. It has a rat capability and password stealer, all kind of thing. Uh, basically, and at the top of it, it's a banking trojan. The way the analysis is basically, I think uh, they're kind of evolving as all the threats are evolving nowadays, moving away to you know some sort of another apps or you know avenues to basically stay under the radar. In this case, this botnet is using either Facebook or YouTube to get the updated list of uh, basically C2 servers. Right. E even though uh, these servers are uh, up, up there on f Facebook and YouTube, they're not easily accessible. They're uh, base 64 later and they're encrypted. It's not easy to get it. But in order to get it, uh, obviously, the infected system has to reach out to these YouTube and Facebooks. In corporate areas, you'll at least have one or the other that will probably go undetected. And certainly out in the wild, you know, Facebook and YouTube are, you know, probably some of the biggest traffic uh, generators out there. So uh, very easy to hide that traffic. At this time, uh, they're mostly targeted in South, South American region, especially Brazil to a large extent, and some other, you know, South, South American countries, but the largest, and they're targeting the Brazilian region. I think uh, they have about 76 to 80 C2 servers identified by their analysis, but the thing is, uh, it can be updated anytime. Uh, I think uh, they're using some sort of uh, similar to domain generational algorithm. They can change the domain name or IP name at any time, and they can just put it there on those profiles. So takedown is not going to be easy. Okay. But the, the way this app propagates is uh, typical phishing email. It comes through the phishing email. Uh, the user or maybe uh, anybody clicks on it. Basically, it downloads a link. And that link is another link to a link file. Basically, two stages. From there, there's some sort of a dropper will be there that takes out to the one of these profiles where the profile basically uh, drops down the C2 server's information. At the point, I think uh, it's uh, at the behest of the C2 masters and what to do, you know, extract the passwords, maybe uh, grab some screenshot, whatever they can do, they can do it. Okay, so the maliciousness of, the, of this particular bot is going after, you said, banking? It's mostly? Um, it's uh, most likely it's a banking trojan, but it has uh, password stealing, you know, it has remote access capability. It can act any ways it could be possible. Okay. okay. Uh, but, uh, so do you, think, do you think that the reason that they're using, like, I think you said it, is that the reason that they're targeting Facebook and YouTube users is because people are less suspicious or, or allow that more often and, you know, through, through their rules? Yeah, I mean, I would I would suspect that that's that's true, and the the fact that traffic to Facebook and YouTube on a network is going to go by like normal traffic in most places. In most, in most places, right? I mean, some people yeah. 
um, would block some of that. But you know, again, between Facebook, Facebook and YouTube, you, you know, YouTube probably being a little bit more allowed, I would guess, in corporations. I think, but again, uh, yeah, probably hidden. That kind of traffic is going to get hidden amongst all the rest of the traffic. Yeah. I think that's most likely reason they have three YouTube accounts compared to two. Two Facebook, but it's right. uh, not not likely targeting only Facebook and YouTube users, but any users. But the traffic, the way it goes to the C2E is to those profiles. I think that's the way I understood. Uh, but the the important point thing is, I think, but just basically relying on IP and file hash indicators to block these kind of activities is not going to cut out. I think. Uh, as a security analyst, we need to understand the threat uh, perspective, how it is behaving, and from that, I think we kind of need to derive, you know, what kind of countermeasure needs to be put in place. Okay, so it, the so this doesn't have any self-propagating property, so it it doesn't once it infects a single host. Yes. Uh, it, you need to you need to basically send out another phishing email to somebody else uh -huh. to infect the another host. Yeah. Right. I think at this time it's at the behest how many infected users are there, how many got fished. Right. That's right. the number of users. That's, that's, a, that's a positive, though. I mean, I mean, you think about you know people who use Facebook. You see a lot of posts where they get shared over and over and over again, or there are emails that come out of Facebook. In this case, you're you're saying you know that the victims would you know have to be retargeted each time. Yeah, the, the right. reason is actually there's some sort of, uh, in the analysis, they talked about process hollowing and side loading of DLLs. That needs to happen. I think unless that's a victim host has been not infected with those, it's not going to contact with the C2 servers. In that per se, maybe it's kind of limited by how much uh, infection has taken place on the victim machines. Does it also talk about any kind of removal techniques for w once you have this on your box? Because you know, I, I read through, and obviously there's a lot um, of I, indicators I think, on yeah, the endpoint. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, up to date with the AV. I mean, basically we need to have a very good email uh, attachment policy, you know, which can actually thwart this in the first place. Okay. These things have to start with somebody being fooled into clicking something and starting starting the campaign up, right? So have something on your email platform that's providing protection from uh, email perspective, and just be careful about the the email that you're reading and anything you're clicking in an email. It just takes one click, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey John, um, I heard you have a good uh, story about knob, the Bluetooth the vulnerability, and also followed by a beautiful quiz with a couple of questions for us. I, I do. I'm going I'm to challenge you all in, in two ways. One, one with Bluetooth, and then, then actually get your knowledge uh, back there. Um, so we have a prediction I made late last year that we would have a Bluetooth uh, vulnerability announced in 2019 has come true and that is the knob uh, or the key negotiation of Bluetooth, um, which is a curious issue where two hosts that are trying to negotiate a Bluetooth session, so whether they've already been in communication with each other or uh, are brand new, if a third person, an attacker, actually comes around and basically they can, the attacker can insert themselves in such a way that they forces the negotiation of the key between the two Bluetooth, you know, the valid Bluetooth participants. It can force that negotiation to use the lowest uh, level 
of uh, encryption, you know, the lowest level of uh, entropy on that key. In fact, I think it's like one bit or one byte, something very, very small. Um, once you force that low-end negotiation, then it's, it, I, I don't want to say trivial, but it makes it very much easier for the um, malicious actor to then decrypt any of that communication that happens between those two, uh, those two devices. Bluetooth, as we know, has a limited range, right? So it's not something that somebody can hit you from over the network. Um, so it, it's not remote. So somebody actually physically has to be there um, and be there at the time of connection, right? So at the time that you're negotiating those keys, that person in the middle has to be there. Um, so from that perspective, it's good. That you, that you have that sort of protection against this stuff, but it is something that you have to pay attention to. Let's say you and I, many are gonna try and share, you know, do a Bluetooth pairing between our two devices. You're gonna know that I'm pairing with you. You're gonna, you know, and I'm right. gonna know you're pairing with me. So at least I know there's pairing going on. It's not like totally, but that third person who's interfering or trying to intercept, you would not see them. No, they, they, would, be, they would be hidden from you, but, but they have to be like, almost in line of sight with you and I would think that you might be a little suspicious. Right. Right. So you have to you have to still initiate the pairing process, right, with this person obviously sitting in the middle prepared to 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 right. Yeah. Well I mean they, they do say that if you have if you we you know we have shared in the past, you know, have shared a key before and we've had a pair Bluetooth pairing in the past. This could be renegotiated um, I think it's a little less likely in that case, um, but it's still, you could renegotiate that key. And, and again, that third person might be able to intercept it. It's fairly unlikely. It's obviously not likely in a large setting, you know, where you're going to impact dozens or thousands of people because it is a proximity, uh, you know, variable there. There's a CVE for it, right? Correct. Uh, it's, the CVE number is CVE 2019-9506. And, um, I, I will say that Apple iOS has already patched it. Uh, they patched that in, in 12.4. They, they, they didn't actually release that they patched it until after 12.4 was, was already out. It was later added to the release notes. Google for Android devices has patched it in their September, or excuse me, their August 5th SPL, their service patch level. So it's 2019-0805. Um, but other Bluetooth devices, this is a Bluetooth vulnerability. Um, they could be also susceptible. So it kind of speaks to that point of keeping your, all your devices, even those devices that aren't necessarily cellular or Wi-Fi, um, you know, up to date with all your patching. Right. So this is, if you take an example of like me connecting up to my Bluetooth speaker, I don't necessarily have to be too worried about the communication between my phone and the Bluetooth speaker because obviously there's nothing there that I'm worried about losing. So it doesn't go beyond that, right? I mean, it doesn't just the communication between the, the two devices. Right on the nose. You, yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the other twist to this. If I have a device that I'm not too concerned about the security, the fact that the communication got decrypted is maybe not as you know right. worrisome as, as between two phones, for example, right. or your phone and your laptop or whatever. Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. So. So John, does this affect like smart wearables, like Fitbit, those kind of stuff? That's it, those does it, not affect it. Yep. Anything. Anything Bluetooth. I mean, this is a this is a vulnerability in the Bluetooth spec. I mean, it's not a vulnerability just for certain devices or for certain types of things. It's it's Bluetooth. Period. <laughs> 
yeah. So a wearable is something that There's obviously is going to be a little bit con more concerned than yeah. pairing your speaker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then there could be some sensitive personal information. And you think about, I don't know, there, there's, I don't want to give anybody ideas, right? But if I have a Bluetooth insulin pump, you know, what can I do with that? Right. You know, is there some either personal data leakage, but is that Bluetooth interception allow me to maybe take some control? So it's a little, it's a little flaky there. And I, I would be, you know, I would, like I said, I keep the devices up to date. There is a patch for this out. If you've got a Bluetooth device, you should be patching. You should be patching as often as possible. So, so are we ready for a quiz? Is that is that the? <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, you, uh, you guys all prepared? You psyched up and ready? Let's 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 do this thing. I'm hoping not to fail, right. but. So so this is this is a uh, so Google uh, produces what they call their their an annual Android security report, and and. They uh, produce statistics based upon what they see there on in the Android infrastructure, typically pulling it out of the Google Play Store, uh, the Google services, and they report on what they call PHAs, which is potentially hazardous applications. So these are these are quizzes based on the 2018 report, which actually came out in, eight, in, in April of this year. So here you go. So in that 2018 report, what percentage of devices do you think, and these are the exclusively the Google Play Store ones, had a, P, had a PHA? So if, if I access the, the Google Play Store with my device, how many, what percentage do you think had one of these PHAs? And I'm going to give you some examples. 0%, 2%, 0 0.08%, or 10%. What do you all think? Of the total apps on the Google Play Store? The total number, these are devices that connect to the Play Store. So we're talking uh, hundreds of millions of devices. How many do you think had, had a PHA? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go zero, with the- Not zero, definitely not, not zero. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna go with the high number. I'm gonna go with 10%, but uh, that's, that sounds really high. So I would go other way around. I go with the the least number. I think point zero something. Point zero eight percent. Ganesh, you're absolutely right. It it is very very low percentage. Point zero eight percent. Yeah, it, it's it's we see so few. It, it's kind of scary. Is that not scary? But it's just kind of interesting. We see so few of these PHAs again using Google's parlance uh, on the. Android devices, you know, some of the hype about it, you know, I'm infected and whatnot is just always scary, but the, the, the percentage is so low. <laughs> All right, so number two. So, so Manny, you're, 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 you're 0 for 1. That's right. right. <laughs> Thanks for reminding everyone. <laughs> uh, so, so, again, still talking PHAs. What country, this is all the countries in the world, were the most PHAs actually detected? So the choices here are the United States, Indonesia, Russia, or India? So, so Ganesh, you can go first. What, what do you think? I think uh, I go with Russia. Okay. How, about, how about you, Manny? Yeah, you know what? I, I was leaning towards Russia as well. Okay. Well, well you guys are now you're, now you're 0 for 2, Manny. <laughs> <laughs> should have never listened to you. So, so this year, this 2018, Indonesia actually took the number one place. First time. Uh, number two 
which and it's historically been our number one by a large margin was India. Okay. No. There are more, there are more infected devices in India than anywhere else in the country or in the world. But this last year, it actually dropped to number two. Um, number three has historically been Russia, but it actually dropped to number four. And, and the United States rose first time it's ever risen. It dropped. It, it rose up to number three. Mm. Wow. So, so India, India, we don't. You know, it, it's kind of an interesting story. If you look at their actual report, the, the the graph on India is just plummeting. So they're doing a very good job in India of of not only keeping their devices up to date or starting to keep their eye device up to date, but also making sure that they're patched and and not downloading you know bad things. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so this is so, so okay, so number three, let's see if Manny can go for, we get one of them right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so what type of PHA is most common in the actual Google Play Store? So Google does a very good job of, of, of reviewing their app. So which one do you think uh, of the types, e- even though they've reviewed these, they still come kind of sneaks in? So, so SMS fraud is one option. The other option is click fraud. Uh, how about spyware or Trojan uh, application? Which, is, which one of those four do you think is the most common that actually gets into the Play Store? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot for being perfectly wrong. Uh, and I'm going to go with the, with the click fraud. Okay. Ganesh, do you agree or do you have another option? I have another option. I go with uh, Trojan. Because there's no back door, I'm leaning towards Trojans. All right. All right. Well, well I hate to say this, Manny, but uh, you're, you're one for three. <laughs> uh, I, I, missed, I missed my perfect score. <laughs> so click fraud, actually, it's an amazing number. It's 50, almost 55% of the PHAs that they detect is click fraud. Hmm. Um, number two is Trojan with 16%. And then, then we get into SMS fraud, which is actually left common in the United States, but you just see some SMS fraud in the world. And then spyware is at 5.5%. So we go from 55 to 16. Wow. Down into the 5s and 6%. So, so click fraud is by far the most common. So that's not a bad number. These, these, this was not an easy quiz. I mean, I, I'll, I'll grant it. But it's, it's interesting just to note what we see in the mobile infrastructure from, from malware you know, compared to what, you know, you're all experienced a lot of times is either on the desktop or the server, or, you know, and mine as well, is, you know, like, what do you see reported out of the, out of the, the major antivirus vendors? Um, this doesn't have any, you know, any correlation really to those numbers. All right, John. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, as always, for a, a very interesting uh, quiz. Manny, I understand that you have an interesting story about a, a person who uh, got busted uh, fishing. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is an interesting story. So I ran across this story. The thing that kind of caught my eye was, you know, sort of the the headline uh, behind it. Um, this story comes to us from from the UK, and it actually goes back a couple of years. So this story broke back in in like 2015 mm-hmm. when this gentleman Grant West, who at the time was 25, was actually arrested for some phishing schemes that he had perpetrated early on in his in his career of doing this nefarious activity, he basically started, at least this is what they know of right now, is that he started this, this sort of downward trend um, into you know, doing the nefarious stuff on the, on the dark web.
web. He had started off by basically selling 47,000 records of financial data okay. that he had acquired, doing some of these phishing techniques. That's kind of where he started. And from there, it kind of snowballed for him and he started to do it more and more. And mm -hmm. by the end, he had done this to over a hundred different companies. Some of these numbers are kind of staggering how many records he ended up getting. One of the biggest scams that he had going, uh, I think the one that netted him the most uh, credentials and probably the most, most uh, financial gain mm -hmm. was the one that he did between uh, July and December of, I think it was 2015. Okay. Um, and he went after Just Eat, which is a UK-based delivery, it's a food delivery service, just like, like Uber Eats that we have here. Okay. He basically, what he created was, his phishing scheme was a, a survey. So he targeted people who potentially had Just Eat accounts. Okay. Uh, he targeted them by sending a phishing email that had a survey and, and promised to give folks, if they finished the survey, 10 pounds. And it was obviously a very sophisticated, he did his homework, he had everything very planned out, he mm -hmm. had uh, sites that looked exactly like the Just Eat site, so he would take them to the front end of what, what looked like the front end of Just Eat, mm -hmm. he had them provide the credentials, and then from there he would take them to the survey. As soon as they finished the survey, what he would do is he would ask for banking credentials to oh. forward the 10 pounds into their banks, Okay. right? And so this is where he ended up getting now the, the financial records, the banking credentials for these folks as well. When he was arrested, finally arrested in May of 2018, they found him with about 100,000 financial records. Um, they also found 78 million usernames and passwords. Wow. Um, he had 63,000 credit card numbers. Um, uh, credit card and debit uh, card numbers. Okay. They, they also found a, about a pound of, of, of cannabis on them as well <laughs> to boot. Um, but they ended up catching him, and you, you may remember this story from back then, they ended up catching him on a train. Mm -hmm. He was in the on a train in the UK. He had bought himself a first class ticket, which is one of the ways that they ended up tracking him and figuring out where he was gonna be. And they actually busted him on the train. And, and if you go online, there actually is a video. While he was actually traveling? While he was traveling, and it's a video of, of him actually uh, being busted on the train. So wow. the, the undercover- Was this the guy that was using his girlfriend's laptop Exactly. Too? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, on top of it, they ended up catching him mm -hmm. with what you can see in the video is his girlfriend's pink laptop <laughs> that he was traveling with. So what, what's the real sort of interesting part about this story? Mm -hmm. The real interesting, you know, we've heard about phishing scams and how much, you know, how much data can be lost and how people can be fooled. Yeah. But what really made this interesting was what the courts finally sentenced him with for these for, for the for these this campaign that he did they actually sentenced him to 10 years and eight months in jail okay and he needs to pay back the 900,000 pounds which which equates to about 1.1 million dollars mm -hmm. he needs to pay that back uh, to the people that he stole it from so and usually in these cases, the perpetrator, obviously because it's, it's mostly in Bitcoin, Ethereum, yeah, yeah. right? The, once they have it, they can just keep it, right? They don't have to divulge yeah. their, their keys or anything to, to unlock it to, you know, to give the money back. Mm -hmm. They can just wait their 10 years out when they get out, they got a million bucks, right? Um, what they did was 
they, the, the judge said, if you do not provide the keys, we're adding four years to your sentence. Okay. Right? So instead of 10 years, it would be 14 years. So clearly he gave up the keys. So in this case, the people potentially are going to get at least some of their money back. Okay. So I, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to track who he stole it from. Right. That's right. What I'm wondering. I'm wondering how, yeah, how, do you, how do you get that? How do you figure it out? Right. I don't know if they've got like detailed, maybe he has detailed records of who, you know, who all these accounts that he stole from and, you know, they're going to try to divide the money up. So I don't know if you're going to end up with, you know, a couple bucks a piece. Um, but at least in this case, you know, some people will actually be getting their money back. Yeah, it depends on how much money he left with after spending. Yeah, it does say that he obviously did buy himself some lavish things with okay. the money. So, you know, obviously the $900,000 that he that he has in his possession isn't all of the money that he took that he took. But it's it's some of it. Right. Yeah. Really, the key here was just to see what kind of penalties we're going to start seeing now. Uh, the, the type of sentencing that now that um, these bad actors that are using phishing campaigns at, you know, sort of global scale are going to start facing, right? I mean, it, it's a good precedence to start setting. Those usually are pretty good deterrents for anybody else who's thinking about getting into that business. I think other folks hopefully will see this story and go, I don't know if it's worth yeah. if it's worth perpetrating, you know, a phishing scam, which today I think a lot of people think, ah, phishing, you know, how can that hurt so much, right? How bad can that really be? Yeah. Well, it costs you yeah. 10 years of your I life. Tell, I tell friends all the time, it, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the truth is, is, is what, you know, the term that's tan staffle. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get a, you know, you get some of these things that, you know, share this, click this and, you know, get $10 or 10 pounds. You know, nobody gives money away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. In this, in this story, there are countless stories about even security professionals who got fooled by this person because the campaign was that sophisticated. They take the time, they build their pages to look exactly like what they're trying to, to mimic, right? And so it's easy on a day that you're just not paying attention to go ahead and click and think that this is the actual page when in fact it isn't. Um, and I'm gonna talk about this week's internet weather, uh, starting with the top 10 most broad parts by volume. Uh, nothing much changes compared to last week's. So as you can see from this here, one key difference which is popping out is 9,000 TCP. I'll talk a little bit about that. If you go about 23 TCP, which is Telnet 445 is SMB 443 HTTPS. They kind of stayed uh, at the same levels and not much uh, deviations in there. The key differential here is uh, 9,000 actually at the sixth position in the rank actually jumped to 33 positions yep. to 39 actually. It's, it was at la 39 last week and jumped 33 positions to six. It looked like it had jumped up and so it looks like there's, there's some scanning that's going on there. It's not quite clear exactly what this scanning may be. We might find out uh, you know, from doing a little bit of analysis, but from right now it looks like it's, it's certainly some heavy scanning. Uh, this is actually 120 days of graphs showing how, how, how much scan volume of uh, on this port happening on our common backbone. As you can see, this kind of activity started in a day or two. Uh, like I think it started uh, late Sunday, 
and you kind of uh, ramped up, like kind of staying at these levels at this point. Uh, typically, they were about 25 million flow counts at the at per hour. I think it's kind of ramped up at this point. This is compared to the same uh, same volume with the number of scan sources. I mean, in the in the sense, how many unique uh, sources are involved, acting on this port, probing on this specific port. As you can see, we are also seeing at the same number actually. I think about. Uh, 1,000 to 1,100 IPs per hour to, I think it kind of jumped up to, today about, I think, 5,000 odd source IPs seen on this specific port. There's a geographical distribution of this one. Well, one of the reports which I grabbed, I think at the point, it has about 3,500 source IPs, and the geographical distribution of this one, as we can see, it's mostly scattered around some part of South America, some North American region and uh, Asia-Pac regions. Uh, this is how the heat map of the, this one. Uh, coming back to 9000, it's uh, one of the HTTP ports used by some of the you know, most of the devices. For example, it says it's, it's used for CS listener, but it's typically used for uh, 9000 TCP. At this point, uh, we do not have uh, much details what's really caused into it. We are looking into it. I think uh, most likely it's something, some sort of new bot, and it's trying to looking for um, some vulnerable devices on it. Right. The reason I see it, uh, the, the way we were looking at it, most of the sources seems to be some sort of scanners. Uh, they're performing okay. aggressive scanning, not only on this port, but they're also doing another port. But seems like uh, there seems to be maybe something new exploit or some sort of a new botnet activities coming up, and the kind of uh, you know, looking at this uh, you know basically initial reconnaissance on this port. Okay. And moving on, this is uh, the graph about the most sources probing. There are not much difference again in this case compared to previous weeks, like a usual suspects like four four five twenty three eighty eighty uh, twenty two, but the Two things I want to point it out is 5431 at uh, rank number seven and the last one, 8291. Uh, I'll explain a little bit why I want to talk about only those two ports. Uh, this is actually 90 days, past 90 days of a graphical view of on port 8291. 8291 typically it's associated with uh, Microtech uh, routers and this is used by one of the botnet, Hajami botnet that specifically uses this port for C2 activity. Actually, this, is, this botnet is not new. I think uh, we kind of talked about uh, sometime last year, like I think uh, early April or May of last year, there was actually this botnet came into picture. At that time, I'm just showing the comparison to what the activity compared to today to at that point of time. As you can see, this is actually our usual actually traffic happening. At that time, you can see actually there's a huge jump, and there are about uh, I think 130, 140,000 scan sources were seen at that time. Slowly, it kind of tapered off. Actually, if you see now, we are around I think uh, about 3,000, 30,000 sources per hour. There was a little bit actually on, uh, on this thread track. I think a couple of uh, weeks ago, Stan or someone else actually talked about uh, some continued activity going on. But if we, if we compare it, if you look at the time of actually this botnet surfaced, we can see the difference actually it came up. But I think for some reason, there still actually seems to be lots of microtech devices. As we know, it's not easy to right. patch or update these devices. Yep. 
And moving on, actually there's some information about uh, related to this port 8291. Uh, this actually, as I said, it's a micro tick and used by HGMA botnet. And there's some uh, actual exploit code um, pointing out to use of this uh, port 8291 in this um, coding example. And moving on to the other one, there's not much activity, but still I want to show some sort of a correlation between this port and 8291 TCP. Um, it's pretty pretty light. I think there's some ups and downs, but uh, nothing major differences as we seen with the 8291. Uh, the thing I want to see is basically it's used by Broadcom UPnP. It's called BCMP botnet. That's what it used actually. Uh, this is also a old one. I think it came out uh, last November. Uh, it's used by basically looking for botnets which are using to for like uh, devices like a router, similar kind of devices. And there are some different uh, similarities. If you see in the code, actually, we see TCP 5431 sin. Similar pattern is used by the previous botnet also has email. So if we, if I go back. As you can see in the exploit code, there's TCP 8291, then a SYN hack came back, and then some sort of uh, conversation gone through. I think it seems like, I mean, we know there's a lots of uh, code sharing between the bot headers. Probably they're using some sort of, because I'm not surprised because it's also an IoT device and also router-based botnet. Right. So there's some sort of uh, similarity in that uh, thing. I just want to show that similarity, you know, even though there's not much difference. But there's a definitely some sort of relation between the use of the exploit code. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you said, code sharing is very common. Very so. common. I think some of the predictions that uh, Ganesh made about it potentially being the signs of a new, a new bot could be, or it could be you know security researchers that are researching a potential new vulnerability in some device. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.